Hey, good morning, everybody. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. We're talking a little bit about rules, and we've got a lot of rules going on. And the name of the message today is Love God, Love People, which is kind of awesome. And Jesus gets into this conversation with some folks that are really, really rulesy. And um, so today we're going to talk about that conversation a little bit. Rules are everywhere, especially today. Lots of rules. Uh, you have to maintain social distancing, and you have to wash your hands while singing Bohemian Rhapsody, so you, you wash long enough. Uh, you have all these rules, lots of things going on. Um, you have to, you know, you can't go to school, you can't be in a park. There's a lot of different places, different rules, lots of different rules. I, I went into a mechanic one time, and he had this sign, kind of a sign like this up, don't sweat the small stuff. In the end, it's all small stuff. And I'm sitting there in the waiting room. Remember when you used to do that, where you could sit in the waiting room? I was sitting in the waiting room thinking to myself, I'm not sure I really want a guy who thinks fixing my brakes is small stuff, fixing my brakes. You know what I mean? So rules are kind of, they're a little bit subjective, um, especially in today's day. Do you remember the rule? Uh, we had rules at my house when I was a kid. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, it is going to be so great when I get old enough where I make my own rules and I can you know, eat a gallon of, of ice cream for supper and I can stay up all night. And, and now I'm at that age where if I wanted to, I could eat a gallon of ice cream for supper and I could stay up all night. And it would take me a week to get over it if it didn't kill me. I, I remember those times. So Rules are there to help us. There was a, I heard a story about a, a kid, and he just turned 18, just had his birthday, and in that state, there was curfew law for anybody uh, you know, 17 and under that had to be in by 11, and now he's 18, and so he says to his dad, oh, daddy, I'm so excited because now I can stay out as late as I want to, and his dad said, son, that is right, but the car you drive that I own, it's not 18 yet, so it still has to be in by 11. So rules are there to help us. And in Mark 12, there's this conversation between some really, really rulesy guys and Jesus. Um, just so you know, I, I put these up. There were kind of these religious leaders of the day. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, and there were teachers of the law. And Jesus got in conversations with these guys all the time. Now, the Pharisees, there were more of them. The Sadducees were better connected. They kind of had more religious power or they had kind of more authority in society. And the teachers of the law, which sounds really uh, smart, were sort of like um, preachers are today. And so you have Jesus teaching and these guys are watching because they did. Jesus would teach in open forums and so he would teach in this open forum and Pharisees and scribes uh, teachers of the law and Sadducees, they would be watching and they would be listening. And so this one particular teacher of the law, he posed a question to Jesus, and this is going to be kind of our jumping off spot for the day. Uh, Mark 12, 28, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to this debate. And by the way, they were debating uh, about uh, death and taxes, which is kind of funny if you think about it. Even back then they talked about death and taxes, the only two sure things. And he realized that Jesus had answered well, and so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important one? Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, we talk about it all the time, that context is really important. Um, 
to understand the question, you have to kind of understand the context. And I'm going to read you an old story. You, you probably, you might even know this old story. But it's about a farmer, and his name is Joe, and so I'm really fond of it. Um, farmer Joe decided his injuries from an accident were serious enough to take the trucking company responsible for the accident to court. I'm telling you this because this illustrates that uh, context is important. In court, the trucking company's fancy lawyer was questioning Farmer Joe. Uh, by the way, in the story, Farmer Joe's the good guy, just so you know. Uh, didn't you say, this uh, fancy lawyer asks the Farmer Joe while he's on the stand, didn't you say at the scene of the accident, when questioned about your condition, I'm fine? Well, Farmer Joe begins to respond. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I had just loaded my favorite mule, Bessie, into the... And then the fancy lawyer interrupts. I didn't ask for any details, the lawyer responded. Just answer the question. Did you or did you not, at the scene of the accident, when questioned about your condition, say, I'm fine? Farmer Joe said, well, I had just gotten old Bessie into the trailer and I was driving down the road. And the lawyer stops him. Exasperated, he looks at the judge and he says, Judge, I'm trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, um, that at the scene of the accident, this uh, old man told the highway patrolman on the scene that he was just fine. Now, several weeks after the accident, he's trying to sue my client. I believe he's a fraud. Please tell him to just answer the question. By this time, the judge was fairly interested in Farmer Joe's uh, response. And he said, actually, I'd like to hear what happened to his favorite mule, Bessie. So Joe thanked the judge and proceeded. Well, as I was saying... I had just loaded old Bessie, my favorite mule, into the trailer and was driving her down the road when this huge semi-truck trailer ran the stop sign and smacked right into the side of my truck. I was thrown into one ditch and old Bessie was thrown into another. I was hurting real bad and didn't want to move and I could hear old Bessie moaning and groaning in the other ditch. I knew she was in terrible shape. About that time, the highway patrolman came on the scene. He could hear old Bessie moaning and groaning, so he went over to her he examined her, and after he looked at her, he pulled out his gun and shot her uh, between the eyes because uh, the, 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 the mule wasn't going to survive. And then the patrolman came across the road with his gun in his hand and looked at me. And he said, your mule was in such bad shape, I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? It's then that I said, I'm just fine. Context is everything. All right, so the context of this conversation, Jesus has with the teacher of the law. The reason teachers of the law were so important is because between the Old Testament, you know your Bible has two kind of two divisions. You have the Old Testament before Jesus and you have the New Testament that's written after Jesus. Jesus is quoted in the New Testament but, but never quoted the New Testament because it didn't exist when Jesus was around. And so uh, there was this time between the Old and the New, the Old Testament and New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. Uh, it's about 400 years. And during that time, the Old Testament law stipulated a few things. That if you wanted your sins forgiven, you would take an animal sacrifice to a temple. And the temple looked uh, something like this. You would take uh, your animal sacrifice to a temple that kind of looks like this. This is a replica. And you would offer an animal sacrifice to uh, have your sins forgiven. Now, between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament... The temple was destroyed. And so now they didn't have, and, and a lot of the uh, Jews were exiled, so they didn't have access to the temple or the process of forgiveness. So they started doing something called synagogue worship. They would meet 
and they would study the rules of God in the Old Testament. You'll find many of these rules in the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. And in this synagogue worship, what they decided to do, since they couldn't offer sacrifices anymore, they would work on being obedient to the law. Now, we know some of the law. You, the Ten Commandments, does anybody want to guess how many there are? Ten, that's right, good. Ten Commandments, there are ten of those. But that's not the complete, uh, that's not the complete number of laws that are in the Old Testament. In fact, there are about 631 laws found in the Old Testament. So, now can you imagine... Uh, the law said you had to offer an animal sacrifice, the blood had to be spilled for you to have your sins forgiven, and now all of a sudden you couldn't do that, so you turned to the law, and now you're hoping that God would uh, approve of you because you were obedient to his law, 631 of them. And there were people who were sort of administrators of the law, teachers of the law, and they debated the rabbis and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would debate as to what the laws actually meant. And they came up with clarification of the law. 631 laws, there are about 1,521 clarifications. They're collected in a book called the Mishnah. And so they would, uh, they would say, hey, you, you, adherence to the law. So now not only do you have 631 laws, you have over 1,500 clarifications of those laws. How would you feel, man, if your wife came in and she said, here's a 800-page a book of how to make me happy? Well, you'd be relieved, I know, because none of us know how to make our wives happy. But anyway, uh, here you have this book of the law, and now not only do you have the 631 laws, but you have 1,500 addendums, you have 2,100 things you have to try to remember. And uh, let me give you some examples. The law says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, how do you do that? that? That's what these clarifications are about. How do you actually go about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy? Well, you know you're not supposed to work, but what constitutes work? So this is the kind of stuff they would debate. And they would debate about, hey, uh, is tying a knot, is that work? They, they actually had these conversations. Now, they came to a conclusion. You could only tie a knot that could be untied with one hand. If you tied a knot that had to be untied with two hands, that's considered work. If you tied a knot that could be untied with one hand, not work. That, these are the kind of things. This is the kind of hyper uh, uh, rules world that Jesus lived in. Plowing. You knew you weren't supposed to plow with oxen or, or whatever. You knew that wasn't a rule. But now the clarification of the rule was this. Uh, these scribes, these teachers of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, they came up with the, the rule that uh, if you spit on the ground, that would, be constitute, that would constitute plowing because your spittle might be magic and somehow uh, turn over the soil and that would constitute plowing. You weren't actually keeping the law of, in their mind, uh, remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. One of my favorite ones of these, women weren't allowed to look into a mirror on the Sabbath day. Would you like to know why? I'd love to tell you. The reason a woman couldn't look into a mirror on the Sabbath day was because she might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it, and if she plucked her gray hair, that would constitute work. Uh, interestingly enough, men weren't prohibited from looking at the mirror because we don't care if we have gray hair. It makes us look distinguished. Uh, that's what I keep telling myself since I have so much. Uh, wearing shoes. You could wear shoes on the Sabbath 
only if the shoe didn't include nails to put it together. If it included nails in the shoe, then it was carrying an, um, an unnecessary burden. Can, can, you, can you believe this? I mean, think about how crazy these rules are. Um, you couldn't walk through grass because you might bend them over, and they, would, they said, hey, that might be, considered, be construed as, as threshing. If your, fi- if your house caught on fire... You couldn't run in on the Sabbath. You couldn't run in and take your things out. But you could run in and put on several layers of clothes and carry that out. This, this was the hypercritical religious world that Jesus lived in. And these guys were constantly looking for rule breakers. One of the things about the pandemic that has been most uh, discouraging for me is you have these arbitrary rules and laws in certain places, and you have neighbors snitching on one another. I really don't like that at all. I just kind of think that's really super sad. How can you be a great neighbor and snitch on your other neighbors? I understand it. I get it. If they're, not suppo- if they're supposed to be social distancing and they're not, and you call the cops on them, I get all that. I mean, I understand why it happens. I just don't like it very much. And this is the hypercritical world, kind of like that, that Jesus was born into. And so he would have these confrontations with teachers of the law and Pharisees and Sadducees all the time. If you read the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see him having these confrontations. For example, Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. Well, if you can't spit on the Sabbath or wear shoes with nails in it on the Sabbath or even look in a mirror on the Sabbath, you can see why those people might find Jesus' healing unappealing. Maybe even um, uh, anti-God is what they would say. And and so it's into this culture that this man asks really a great question of all the commandments, of the 631 commandments and of the 1,521 uh, clarifications of the commandments. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? That is a really great question. He asked the question because he had seen that Jesus was answering well, Jesus kind of had his stuff together. Uh, He really wanted to know the answer. And so Jesus has this brilliant answer. And we're going to look at it. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. And this is a a quotation from Deuteronomy 6.5. So Jesus takes scripture and answers the question. Deuteronomy 6.5, by the way, was called the Shema. The Shema. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Know that the commandment is greater than these. So Jesus answers basically with two different uh, Old Testament texts. The one from Deuteronomy, the second one was from Leviticus. The, The Jews loved the Shema. They loved it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They loved it so much that they would write it on little little scrolls, and they would roll them up and keep them in a little box, and and they would uh, have a headband a lot of times, and they would have this little box, the the Shema, on on their kind of resting on their forehead or on their their hand. They would tie a little uh, bracelet with the Shema. Really kind of interesting. We're not going to talk about it today, but... Do you, you know back in, in, um, uh, in Revelation where they talk about the mark of the beast? Do you remember where the mark of the beast was located? 
forehead, hands. Maybe those things have something to do with one another. They would also take the Shema, the Hero Israel, our Lord is one. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they would take that, uh, that document, that, that, that command, and they would, uh, they would attach it to their doorpost. Because every time they entered or, or exited their house, they wanted to be reminded that the Lord was watching over them. And so, for Jesus to quote this, everyone in the audience would have agreed because they loved that text. But then Jesus adds the second part. Let's look at it one more time. The second, and he says, is equally important. Now, everyone in the audience would have, would have believed that the first one was the most important, but Jesus says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than than these. Think about how that's applying to our society today. I mean, we social distance to protect ourselves, but we also do it to protect others. We're trying to love our neighbor the very best that we can. And so Jesus equated the two things, love God, love people. So let's kind of break down his response just a little bit. First, he's saying that love trumps rules. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you'll recall, the way that the Jews had gotten to, in synagogue worship, the, ways that, the way the Jews had, had wanted to win God's approval was by keeping rules, was by being obedient. But, but Jesus doesn't say, obey the Lord your God. He says, love the Lord your God. This is all about attitude. What's your attitude toward God? Because here's the problem, and it's a big problem. The problem with rules is that obeying them doesn't necessarily get me closer or get us closer to God. Later in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. He writes much of the New Testament. He was a Pharisee. He was kind of the chief rules keeper of his day before he became a follower of Jesus. He loved the rules. He kept the rules. He was super religious. He was super rules oriented. And then he has this amazing encounter with Jesus and he becomes a follower of Christ. And he writes in Galatians about keeping the rules. Those who depend on the law, on the rules, to make them right with God are under a curse, he says. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments. Really important what he says here. All the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. The curse is because the standard is unachievable. We can't keep all the rules. That's why Jesus points us to loving God. Because if we love God, we'll keep rules. But if we just try to keep rules in order to win God's approval, we're never going to really be good at that. And here's what happens with trying to keep rules. One of two things happens most of the time. And there are still people that try to do this. They try to keep all the rules and try to win God's favor by keeping rules. One or two things happen. Either we get frustrated because we can't keep them, we realize we can't keep them, or we get arrogant and self-righteous because we think we're keeping them. Either way, our attitude is wrong, and Jesus was pointing us to attitude. It's the difference between conduct and character. Not the same thing. I've got a great illustration for this. Let's say I'm late to an appointment. I'm late, I can look at my clock, I'm in my car, I know I'm late, I'm supposed to be there you know, a couple of minutes ago. And I don't know about you, but if, if you're anything like me, 
then if I'm late, I'm going to have a tendency, my conduct is going to be, I'm going to drive a little faster, a little more aggressive to get to the appointment for which I'm late. However, that conduct could be adjusted. Even though I know I'm late and I know I need to hurry and I know I need to go fast and I know I need to be a bit more reckless than I would normally be driving to get to that appointment because I'm late. My conduct can be adjusted. I, I can dial that back. Would, would you like to know how? If I look in my mirror and I see a police officer right behind me, even though I know what I want to do, my character is screaming at me, you've got to go faster, because something behind me is keeping me, my conduct, a certain way. I'm going to act a certain way because of the situation. Conduct, you can fake conduct. Um, there's an expression called fake it till you make it. Uh, I, I experienced this one time. I went into a store, and this young girl, I asked her where something was. I think it was a Radio Shack, if, if we even have those anymore. And I asked her for a certain part or something. I can't remember what it was. And she had no clue. She, it was like her first day. She had no clue. But she, she was talking to big game and... And after a while, I figured out, oh, you're faking it till you make it, because she had no idea. In fact, I found it for her. Oh, it's right here, because um, she really didn't know, and that was okay. But too many people are trying to fake a relationship with God and, until they make it, and that's not how you have a relationship with God. People every Sunday, at least used to, get dressed up, and they would go to church, and they would act a certain way, and they would do certain things while they were at church, their conduct didn't reflect their character. Conduct and character are two different things. And truth be told, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all these people who acted like they had it all together, they didn't have it all together either. And Jesus warns them. Look at what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law. When Jesus says, woe to you, that's not good. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I love that Jesus really uh, sometimes isn't very politically correct. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. What they would do in that time, would uh, you'd have a, a cemetery or you'd have a plot and, and there would be a, a, a a tomb, a whitewashed tomb, they would whitewash it to make it clean, make it look well, um, like when we um, uh, power wash our houses to make them look shiny and bright. They would kind of wash them over with white paint. And Jesus is saying, you look good on the outside. On, on the outside, you're pristine. But inside, your, your conduct is, looks good, but your character is a mess. It's dead. It's rotting. It's stinky. It's not where it ought to be. And the reason Jesus points to love is this. When love becomes a part of our character, right conduct will follow. If I've got the right heart, what comes out of my heart will be right actions. That's what Jesus was saying. Why do I not take the name of the Lord in vain? Well, is it because I love God or because I'm afraid He's going to send me to hell if I do? One is a rule and one is a relationship. Why do I not cheat people because I'm afraid of getting caught and maybe going to prison? Or do I not cheat people because I look at them as a soul created in God's image, a person that deserves honor and respect? I mean, is it because I have a, a certain love for them? Why do I not commit adultery? Is it because if my wife finds out she's going to kill me? Or is it because I love her? Probably a little bit of both on that. But what I'm saying is, 
And what Jesus, more importantly, was saying is, hey, love leads to obedience, which is our second notion around Jesus' response. In fact, and John, John was one of Jesus' best friends. John later said, if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God when we can't see? You, you might have wondered, why did Jesus give two answers instead of one? The guy said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't say, what are the greatest two commandments? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is equal, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The reason he gave two is because the two are inseparable. You, you can judge how you're doing with God just by looking at how you're doing with your neighbors. I've told this story before. It still bothers me to this day. And I'm going to tell it again because I know some people on here may not have heard it. And by the way, if you're tuning in today, thank you so much. And it's nice that we have folks from other parts of the country watching and that's really, really cool. But when I was a pastor in New Mexico a long time ago, my neighbor, uh, she had just experienced a divorce and her yard needed to be mowed. And it was Sunday and I had come home from church and I, I remember driving in, uh, pulling into my driveway and looking at her yard and thinking to myself, I really need to mow her yard. And I could hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, that's really what you should really help her. And it wouldn't have taken very long. It was a, it was a little yard. I mean, in that town, the yards weren't that big, especially in that neighborhood. And I knew, I knew what I should do. I knew God wanted me to do it. And I didn't do it because I was afraid of what my neighbors would say. Hey, the pastor's working on a Sunday. And if it got back to my people at my church, what they would say. I was more concerned with what somebody might say than doing what I knew God wanted me to do. What does loving our neighbor look like? Well, Jesus makes it pretty simple. And you all know this one. Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. It's the golden rule. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do unto others what you'd have them do to you. Now, there's this conversation around death and taxes, and this teacher of the law asks this really important question. What's the, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love God and love people. And let's look at what the teacher's response is. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying that there's only one God and no other. And I highlighted the next words. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I actually love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't say, I actually love my neighbor as myself. He, he just says here, I know it is important. It's in my head, but it may not be in my heart, which is our third point for the day. I've got to get this knowledge from my head to my heart. Knowing something and doing something aren't the same thing. Let me tell you a little story. There was a guy, he just retired. He decided what he was going to do is he was going to help his wife with some of the cooking chores. That's what he was going to do. So he got him a little notebook, and he was taking notes, and this is how you prepare this, and this is how you prepare this. And they, they both enjoyed oatmeal in the morning, and so his wife gave him some detailed instructions on how to prepare oatmeal. And she said, okay, you have to measure out the right amount of water, and you have to measure out the right amount of oats, and you put them in the small saucepan, not the big saucepan, always the small saucepan. 
and you turn it on a certain temperature and you have to keep it stirred because you don't want it to stick and you have, you have to set the timer, make sure you set the timer because you don't want to overcook, you don't want to undercook. And once the timer goes off, you turn the timer off and you turn the heat off and you put a, a lid on top of the pot and you have to let it rest for a little bit so it can absorb all the water. And then it's ready to serve. And when you serve it, is immediately after you serve it onto the plate or the bowl, then you have to take the saucepan and put it in the sink and run water into the saucepan so it doesn't stick and you can clean it a lot easier. And... The guy, you know, is taking notes in his little notebook. And later his wife looked at what he had written down, and he wrote down, never cook oatmeal. Because uh, knowing how to do it and doing it are two different things. And knowing uh, that God loves me and knowing I need to love Him, that's one thing. Actually doing it is quite different. And, and when, God t- uh, when Jesus ties these two commandments together, love God and love people, We can't do one and not the other. Uh, Jesus didn't give us that option. Look what Jesus says to the guy. I love it. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But he wasn't, wasn't quite there. You're not far. It can be in your head and not in your heart. It can be here. I might know it, but I'm not really honest with God. I mean, how do I get it from here to hear. Well, number one is just be real honest with the Lord. Hey, Lord, I, I know this. I believe it. I just haven't put it in my heart. I, I know to love you with my, with, with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know that. I just haven't done it. And I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but I just haven't done it. I, it's easier for me to follow the rules. It's easier for me to, to be religious than it is to have a relationship. And some of us today, we kind of need to repent. Lord, we've known, we just haven't done, and we have a relationship with you, but we've kind of fallen out of the relationship because rules are easier, and I'm trying to do right stuff, but not always with the right attitude. My conduct is good, but my character's not. And that's okay. Well, here's what we need to do today. Let's repent. Lord, I'm sorry that my conduct hasn't reflected my character. Let's work on my character, Lord. Help my character be right. You might be watching and you might say, you know what, I've never gotten it from here to here. I, I've never said to, to the Lord, can, can, you make, can, can you make me new? Well, today's a good day for that. I mean, the, the lesson of the day, Jesus answers one of the most important questions ever posed to him by simply saying, love God and love people. In this pandemic our opportunity is to love God love people how is your character affecting your conduct not the other way around your character will affect your conduct let's pray father today we come to you humbly and we ask that you would guide us in all things we pray that you would help our character to be right help our conduct to also follow our character and not the other way around We do want to do good things, but help us have the right attitude even when we're doing the right things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.